You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hi, everyone. It's Sophia. Welcome back to Work in Progress. As we begin the new year, I just, I can't stay away. And I want to lean into the new on Work in Progress. For me personally, that means the debut of my new show, Good Sam. The team behind this show are truly some of the greatest human beings I've ever had the pleasure of working with. There is something magic about what's happening here. And I want to let all of you in on it. For today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with a new castmate who is now an old friend from Good Sam, Sky P. Marshall. Sky has been on so many of my favorite shows. You may recognize her from Black Lightning, Love Handles, Eight Days a Week, or The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. On Good Sam, she plays Dr. Lex Truly. But in real life, Sky lived a lot of life before she ever got on screen. She is a veteran of the United States Air Force and has worn many career hats since and took it upon herself to make her dreams of performing come true. I'm so excited for you all to get to know my TV bestie a little better. And we had such a good conversation that we've actually decided to break this up into two episodes. Let's get started. Well, hi. Hi, babe. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. <laughs> it's funny. I feel like I don't even know where to start, but I guess uh, in case anybody skipped the intro, you all are in for a treat today. You were very lucky that my friend and my TV bestie, Sky P. Marshall, is joining us on Work in Progress today. And I know because they've sent them to us that the listeners have so many questions for us about Good Sam. Ooh. I know. But I, I like to go back because everybody who's meeting you on the show is meeting you as the sky of today. And yes. as someone they likely know from Sabrina and from your other work. But I, I always like to see how people got started. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the beginning. You were born in Chicago. That's actually how we first bonded. Do do you consider yourself like a Chicagoan at heart? Oh, you know, that's that's uh that's always been a complicated question because yes, I was born in Chicago. Then I relocated to what we like to call the DMV, DC, Maryland, and Virginia <laughs> until I was 12. Mm. So I have this small town country girl in me. And then in my preteen, I head back to Chicago, and they they taught me real quick how to grow up. Mm. So, you know, I do have that small town heart, but I am quite streetwise because of Chicago, mm. for sure. So, yeah, both sides of that coin have created 
quite the epic adventure of just getting through life at such a young age. That kind of dichotomy of big, fast-paced town, well, big, fast-paced city, and small town, like, quiet. Yeah. I experienced that as a kid, and I think it serves all of us well now because we have to move around and make anywhere home. And when you've made a home in places that are so different, I think you can see anywhere as a potential home. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like big cities, they just, they they come with so many rules. Mm. Small town, I felt limitless. I had real estate. I had forts in the forest. I would take stuff out of my mother's house and I would take it into the woods and I would build these forts all over the place, me and my sister. We would stay out late. Hmm. No one, like there wasn't so many rules. And then I got into Chicago and it was just like, don't walk down that street. Don't get on that bus. Don't stay out after the, you know, the, the, the sun drops or don't hang out with those people that, you know, make sure you don't turn your hat to the left. Make sure you don't wear red. Make sure. And and it was so overwhelming for me Mm. that it started to kind of dim my light that that small town gave me that freedom to feel like I felt like I had an imaginary friend. And I mean, it also could be that I was, you know, younger, but it just felt more freedom in the small town, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, and and to go back to Chicago as a preteen and to experience some of what you're talking about, like the danger that you'd never heard before of wearing a gang color on the wrong block. Right. Of putting your hat on in a way that might suggest you had a loyalty to one group and not another. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had to learn how to do what's called a neutral handshake. So in Mm -hmm. case someone does, you know, walk up or what we would call run up on you Mm -hmm. and they, they go for a handshake, you know how to immediately do what's called a neutral handshake, that you are not a left or a right gang. You're not affiliated. I'm not affiliated at all. I'm neutral. What? I mean, what is that experience like as a young kid? Because that sounds, if you think about it as a story, it sounds like a rude awakening for the lead character. Oh, yeah. And this it is, is the story yeah. of your life. Like, what No, what absolutely. Was that? And it's Chicago, you know, that being born in Chicago is one thing, but having to return to Chicago at 12 after experiencing a very traumatizing event where we lost everything. I went mm-hmm. from riches to rags. So having to now go to Chicago at 12 and ballet turn to hip hop, Girl Scouts turn to gangs, um, it, it, it was like everything that I knew was completely flipped on its back. And it was very traumatizing and very overwhelming. I remember it separating me and my sister, you know, because my sister, she and I are a year and a half apart. And she went. I went down the art road. I went to dancing. She went to the streets. And we never, even today, have reconnected since. Mm -hmm. So that experience of having to fit in and having to adapt and having to figure out what does it mean to be Black? Because being in a small town of Virginia, it was a predominantly white neighborhood, but they never treated us like we were the only Black family because my dad was a doctor. You know, so they just saw that we were all running in the same country club circle. Mm. When I got to Chicago and I was now in a neighborhood that was predominantly, actually was pretty much 100% uh, black people. It was the uptown of Chicago. That's where I first learned that, like, I was dark skinned. That's where I, yeah, honey, I didn't, I was Mm. like, wait, what? What's dark skin and light skin? That gave me a whole complex. That's where I learned um, that my hair wasn't good, good hair. Like, it was just this whole cultural segregation that was happening within the community that I was just like, it was a rude awakening. And rather than being, you know, punched down by it, I, I rose to the occasion and I had to learn how to really love myself mm. with the help of my mother. <laughs> Did you feel like you could talk to her about what you were learning and experiencing and like the ways you were feeling 
like you were being made to doubt yourself or, or did you have that teenage thing of like, I'm good. And she saw that you weren't. Oh no, I was, I was, I was, and still am a proper mama's girl. Like that's my <laughs> ace of spade and my biggest cheerleader in life. And because she grew up in Chicago she anticipated everything that I was about to experience. Wow. So while she would have conversations with me about it and try and prepare me for certain things, it wasn't until I had that real world experience. So, you know, she would always ask questions. And because she grew up in that area and my older siblings grew up in that area, they had ears in the streets. So they knew the vice principal of my eighth grade school. Like they always knew what was going on and asking questions. So uh, my mom was my protector for sure. But she also threw me in the gauntlet. Like she was like letting me take the subway and like letting me go to the south side of Chicago by myself. And like she, she allowed me to face my fears in Chicago, in a big city that was so unknown. And I think that was, I don't think, I know that that was the beginning of me creating a relationship with fear. What do you mean by that? Um, so me and fear, like we've been together for a while. Things are getting serious. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was the beginning of me creating a relationship with fear. Because I think when I hear people say, again, I'm trying to stop this word think. I don't think. I know. I know that for me, when I hear people say, Sky, it seems like you're so fearless. Or like, mm. I'm fearless. And it's like, well, none of us are fearless. We're born with fear. Mm -hmm. You know, infants scream and cry because they're so hungry, this hunger pain, but you feed it and it's like, oh my God, okay, all right, I'm 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 safe, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. You have to tell a toddler that there's no boogeyman in the closet, right? Like we are always having to have a life experience with fear. And my first real encounter of day-to-day -day anxiety and and the trepidation that came with walking around the streets of Chicago. That was a relationship that would paralyze me at times. And my mom was there, someone who had had experience to help me through it by making me face it. That then was advanced when I left Chicago at 17, 18, to then go into the military that then trained me in a very sophisticated way on how to now use that fear. Mm. So the first thing was a revelation of the fear and then embracing it. And then the military taught me how to use it to my advantage. So I have a healthy relationship with fear. Mm. If I'm scared of something, I have to do it. Like if I'm scared to say something, I'm like, damn it, now I got to say it. Or do something, I'm like, ah, now I have to do it. Because I'll, I'll think about it nonstop. Mm -hmm. But something that amazes me about you that I observe in you as your friend is when you say that, and you know this about me, if I'm anxious about something, I'm like, I lose all my words. I have no idea how to talk. I'm suddenly like, if I say this thing, then everyone's going to have their feelings hurt. Or I'm going to say it wrong or oh God. And you somehow have become a human who, when you are afraid of something and you're like, I got to say it, you don't say it with the fear behind it, you say it with like a supreme amount of positivity. Mm. You, you somehow push through to an observer anyway, you push through the thing that makes you fearful with joy. And that to me is like wizard shit. <laughs> like you guys, I'm telling you, I'll my friend that. is magic. The first day that we worked together, I told her she was sparkly. I'm very serious. This woman is covered in glitter. Like, how do you think you learned that? Because that, that's a perspective you have. I don't know a lot of people who have it, who have that kind of ability. I think for me, it's nobody's, like my emotional reaction or my re emotional response is no other human being's responsibility. That is my mm. responsibility. I don't care what anybody does. My emotional response to anything, mm. that's all on me. So if I do believe that everything is happening for me, it's not happening to me, mm -hmm. if it's happening for me, I have to look at it like, ah, I 
don't like this feeling. I don't like, you know, the thoughts that are going on in my head. All right. So how is this supposed to serve me? What am I supposed to learn here? And sometimes that can take 30 seconds before I open my mouth and respond to somebody. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that can take weeks. It really, it honestly really just depends. It's very a la carte when it comes to how I respond to fear. Because sometimes when you see me, I might be in my joy and bliss and zenning my way through the experience, (laughs) but then I'll go home and throw accents in my walls. You know what I mean? Like I have my ways of processing that, that emotion. I just don't reject any of the feelings that I have as a human on the entire spectrum. Mm -hmm. They've all served me. Even when I hear people talk about ego, like ego this or ego that, yeah, but ego can come in hand as well. Fear this, fear that. Fear can come in hand. Sadness can come in hand. You know, all of our emotions are there to serve us, but we have to be able to just take a moment and figure out what is the lesson here. And that has taken time. And I learned that, again, I give that credit to the Air Force as well. Mm. That's where that began. So how how does that timeline go? Yeah. You go back to Chicago as a preteen. So, yep, go back to Chicago at 12, uh, finish up high school, and then in order to go to college, I had to get Uncle Sam to be my sugar daddy. <laughs> he bought all my books. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I went to the military because I wanted to go to college. Like, that was very important to me. So how does that process begin? Like, when you... When you're sitting there saying, okay, the military is going to be my opportunity for higher education, where do you go? Who do you go to see? Are you getting recruited or do you have to go and volunteer? Like, what's what's the process for you at 18 to do that? So the process for me was when I was in high school, I went to Lincoln Park High School. And a lot of girls in my high school were getting pregnant, dropping out. And then there were the other girls, of course, that were excelling and getting, like, incredible grades. I was one of those, but I was surrounded by a lot of girls that were having babies. Mm. And it scared me. And I decided I need out. So I applied to a bunch of different universities, and I got into an HBCU called uh, Hampton University back in Virginia, Went to Hampton. Now, as HBCU, a historically black university, I didn't know that I was no longer the minority. So that financial aid was not going to be available to me, which was so brilliant for the white students that were there because now they were able to get the financial aid because they were the minority of the university. And I was like, oh my God, that's genius. And I didn't even, I didn't even think about that, right? So I called my white friends like, y'all need to go to HBCU. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, there is, free, a, girl. there is a hack to this system. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, you get to be a minority. So, uh, yeah, that freshman year was a penny, you know? And one thing I remember hearing from my father with med school and my, and my mom when she went to school for, uh, to be a teacher was student debt. Money was a big, mm. a big fight and arguments and, and just a dark cloud. And a lot of it was good old Sally Mae. So I grew up thinking Sally Mae was a real woman. I, and she, I know exactly what she looks like in my head. And I thought that she was a woman that kept calling my dad asking for money. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What does is, what is Sky's Sally Mae look like? What I need to know. So Sally Mae, she has this, um, she's a white lady naturally. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, she um, is this tan White woman who um, has like this gray, beautiful, thick hair with a nice little southern curl to it. And the sweetest face, like the the big rosy cheeks, the nicest woman. She gave you that money so you can go get that degree. (laughs) She's just following through on the deal. She sounds like a character on Designing Women. Like her and Delta (laughs) Burke were probably best friends. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, okay. The sweetest woman. Sure. Great energy. But she needs her money back. But Sally needs that needs that check back. Got it. That that you you know. Oh my god, so, I love it. Um, I just didn't want to have a relationship with Sally Mae. I didn't. Mm-hmm. So that's where the idea of going to the military came in. Now this idea came in after I had just like one prom queen in high school. So I didn't tell anyone because they would think it was absurd. Like, mm-hmm. wait, what? 
the mill. No, you don't. That's not what. That's not what we do. We don't. We don't do that. So I didn't tell anyone. So I walked into a recruiting office for the Navy, because that's when initially I was going to go into the Navy. But then I found out that you got to get your hair wet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> then I found out they was going to wet my hair, and I was like, um, no. But I went in and uh, did what's called the ASVAB test, and that is like the SAT, ACT for the military, mm-hmm. so that they can determine. On your scores, your score chart, which branch will you qualify for? Army and uh, the Navy, I believe, are equal, somewhere around 25. And the Marines is somewhere in the 30s. Don't quote me on this, please. But to get into the Air Force, that was like 80% or higher. Wow. Yeah, very challenging. So I get back to the recruiting office and the Navy recruiter says, you pass, you're in. Now we're going to go and do your physical exam and... Done. You'll be Did in the you Navy. Got all on the same day? No, it's like uh, the test is one day. The rec- oh. Well, the recruiting thing is one day. And then you go back to a place called MAPS and you do your ASVAB test. And then when you get the scores in, now you got to go and do like a whole physical examination, which is like, it's intense. It's like what you see in the movies of like a cattle line of human beings testing their vision and your physical abilities and just the, the whole shebang, mm. right? So I go and I do that. And then I, I'm, I'm done with my physical. And now at the end of the physical, hours later, you have to now get in line to go into a room to swear in into the military, right? Once you swear in and you drop that salute, they own you for the next however long your contract is. Mine was four years. So I'm standing in line, in the Navy line, but I'm looking across the hall at the Air Force line and they looked cool. They were like the cheerleader and football players in the cafeteria. I don't know what it was, but I was just like, man, they look way more fun. It was the most ridiculous choice to, to shift my entire perspective in that moment. But it did. I was 17, you know, and so I left and mm. I didn't swear in. And I went back to the recruiting office and I asked him, what was my ASVAB score? Because he never told me. And when he told me my ASVAB score, and he looked like he didn't want me to know. Mm. And he was like, you got a 83. And I was like, ah! And I ran across the hall into the Air Force recruiting office. And I was just like, let's go. I'll swear in today. And I did. And, and, and that's how I ended up in the military. And I have zero student debt. And I've never met Sally Mae. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll never know what she looks like. Okay. So then how, how does the process go? You swear in, but then do you stay at your university, or do you go to a military college? No, or do so, you, like what's the what's yeah, the timeline? So I here? never went back to Hampton because I couldn't afford it. So because I couldn't go back to Hampton, my only option was Chicago. Ugh. Oh. So I'm like, I'm going into the military, and I didn't tell my mom until after I scored high on the ASVAB test. She didn't even know that I was going to take the actual test. Because I just wanted to see how far could I take this before actually committing. Mm. I'm not good at enrolling other people in my decision making mm-hmm. because it's not their life. Mm-hmm. Now, I love to consult people that I love and trust or that I just respect because of you know who they may be in the world. Um, just so I can learn. I love to learn from people. But mm-hmm. when it comes to those high octane moments where it's like, is it the blue pill or the red pill? I've really had to lean on me and spirit and universe, God, everything you want to believe in. Um, so when I then went and swore in, that next day I was on a bus to the airport and I was gone. Yeah, I was gone and, and showed up to boot camp and. uh San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> and it was so funny because, well, it wasn't that funny because it was August, so it was bleeding hot in San Antonio, Texas. But it was funny because I get to, I, I, I arrived to boot camp and we're all being like rushed off the bus and our TI, our training instructor is like showing up and like already giving us the energy that we all know that we mm-hmm. see in movies and television, right? And he's like, is there anybody here that knows how to play an instrument? And I'm sitting up here like, what? What? <laughs> So I raised my hand <laughs> and he's like, what do you play? I was like, um, cymbals, because in my head, that's just the easiest that I can like improvise with. I was like, cymbals, I'm really, I could play cymbals. And then 
And then he was like, okay, great, go over there. So then we're all being whisked over to like this <laughs> other area of boot camp. And then we end up inside of a band room. Stop. This is too much. A lot of people don't know about this. So I just, I was like, oh my God, where's that? We're indoors. There's air conditioning. Wait, okay, what's happening? So then they're just like, all right, you guys are the band. <laughs> <laughs> the band of boot camp. I did not see this in the pamphlet. Um, and they're like, you guys are in the band. Every Friday, a new group of of, uh, of airmen are going to be graduating boot camp. And you're the band that's going to play at their graduation every Friday. Oh. And I was like, oh, this is lovely. Because in my head, all I knew was that means we're going to have to rehearse. And that's going to be indoors and air conditioning. And I'm not going to have to be outside. And yeah. And then there was a band member from the band at Hampton University because I danced with the band at Hampton University that was in that flight. And I couldn't believe it because he was my assigned big brother at Hampton University. So when we saw each other, we just burst into tears because neither one of us told each other that we were going to the military. So for he and I to both end up in a band flight in boot camp right after Hampton University's band experience I mean, it's just, you You already know. You know me. We have so many conversations. The synchronicities that happen in my life mm. are just incredibly mind-blowing and so inspiring for me to just keep going, mm-hmm. you know? Did having a friend there make you feel like you were going to be okay at the start of something that I imagine is pretty scary? Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, you're not allowed cell phones, anything. You're not allowed any connection to the outside world because mm-hmm. their job is to break you down as a civilian and rebuild you as a soldier. So they can't have any outside influence interfering mm-hmm. with that process. But my flight of women, and I was the flight leader of my flight of 40, was in a barrack right next to the male flight. And there's a door that separates us. So we called that door the telephone. So anytime somebody would knock on the door... Anybody around the door would be like, who is it? <laughs> and they'll be like, it's John. And we're like, Sky there? And I'll be like, Sky, come to the phone. And it's the door, <laughs> right? And then you just come to the door and sit on the door and just like talk under the door or through the door to whoever's mm-hmm. there. So like we were able to just converse through the door and that was really nice. Um, and then there was a girl who didn't graduate from boot camp because of medical reasons, but they'll still keep you there. Mm and make you work, but you're not um, held to all the rules and regulations. So I got her to sneak in some snacks um, and a cell phone once. So, you know, I played my, I, I played my part well. I, I got what that. I needed. So, But yeah, no, it was challenging, but very rewarding. But as a flight leader, if anybody messed up and had to, say, do push-ups or run laps or whatever, I had to do it with them. So that was the beginning of having an accountability partner, which... Ooh. If I did not have that, even up until today, I wouldn't. I, I definitely would not have accomplished what I have accomplished thus far. What do you think it is about accountability? The thing about accountability for me is that we can have a dream. We can have a goal. We can have a vision. You can have motivation and inspiration. That's, that's, that's great. But what I have learned that gets real results is habits. Mm-hmm. That's what gets real results is what are you doing even when you don't want to do it? You know, um, a lot of people would would ask, because I, <laughs> I still do this today. As soon as I put my feet on the floor, I make my bed. And I've been doing that ever since, you know, the training that I had in the service. And people would say, like, what is it with the military in the, in the bed, in the bed, in the bed? And I'm like, it's not about the bed. It's about creating discipline. It's about when you wake up in the morning, you start the day with something that you don't probably want to do. And it will start to roll out throughout the day. Mm. So discipline for me and habit is very important. And for me to stay habitual, I needed those accountability partners, you know, um, which later in life I uh, changed the name to Destiny Advocates. (laughs) So, yeah, I have a few of those. You're one of them. You became one of them for sure. But I can tell, I can spot a Destiny Advocate. Where I'm like, oh, this person is supposed to be in my life on purpose. Mm. Like there's there's purpose in this relationship. And the version of me that shows up is just a little bit, just a little bit different than what the day-to-day, you know, associate or family member may receive. Mm. 
why do you think that is? Like when we're around the people who make us want to be our best selves, Mm -hmm. why do you think we know? That's a really good question, Sophia Bush. (laughs) (laughs) It's annoying. I don't, Mm. I wish I could, I wish I could figure the formula out, but it's a knowing. It usually lines up with certain events that take place, a synchronicity that happens. Mm. You see the person once and then you run into them again. And then a a third, oh no, okay, now come here, let's talk. I'm supposed to be someone in your life. You're supposed to be someone in my life. Or we're just supposed to drop some gems on this table right now and walk away. Mm. Either way, there is something that I am meant to give and or receive in this moment. And if that keeps happening over and over, now you're a destiny advocate. Now you're, you're, you're there. You're stuck. You're with me for life. How I know, it's just synchronicities start to happen. That's my first cue. Mm. Or I'll think about the person and they'll text or they'll call. It energetically, the world just my world shifts to to reveal to me, pay attention to this relationship or this moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm very obedient to that feeling. And I lean into it. And I I don't care heavily on their response to it. Uh, meaning that if I if I'm the one calling you, but you're not calling me, I'm not gonna trip about that. Mm. I'm really not. How you feel about me is none of my business. You know what I mean? Like, I'll just, I'll still support. I'll still, you know. Now, if someone rejects the invitation, then, of course, I fall back. But um, not everybody has that same reaction or response to you. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's up to us to just listen. Yeah. I think it can also be so important to remember that we're not all always in the same stages with the people we connect with. Very important. So like, let's say you and I are in a stage where we have time. Glorious. We probably can put in and and output about the same amount of energy. But sometimes, you know, one of us will be in a position where we have time and we'll meet someone who's supposed to be in our lives who has very little. And so then we can give time where they might not be able to give as much in return, but us continuing to show up and give it means more to that person who doesn't have a lot of time than just about anything. Absolutely. And like learning that has been such a lesson for me in terms of trusting how I feel and also trusting that I'm loved when I'm the one who doesn't have much time and other people show up. It's like... It like brings me to my knees. It touches me so deeply. Yeah, And I think, I think choosing to trust your instincts and to, and to name what's happening can help you kind of lean into those behaviors. Absolutely. Because that person that you speak of that may not have a lot of time, please believe they too have their destiny advocates that they will make time. Mm. And that they are on the the see me end, mm. feel me, hear me, or let's have this. I feel I don't I don't think anyone is short of that. Mm. that even the way that Oprah speaks of Sid and Portier, like yeah. everyone has that person. Yeah, you know, um, Alicia Keys over a decade ago said something that stuck with me forever at an award show, and she said, "You can't go through life with with you know two catcher's mitts on." You have to be able to give and receive. Yeah. You know, you can't just be there to receive, 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 right? So while I, for instance, am soaking up as much as I can watching you and learning from you and studying from you, I then go and like open the door for like like one of our, like our extra Kayla, you know, who I've been mentoring and I even had her over to help me with a self tape. You know what I mean? Like she, she's like, okay, here we go. Like anytime I feel rewarded to have somebody that I can learn and watch and, and feel supported by Mm -hmm. in my journey, I then have to go and look back. I have to look back to see, is there anyone needing my time that may think I'm too busy. Mm. And that's just kind of, I don't know, that's been the cycle that's worked for me. 
I love that. And it's interesting to be able to trace it to those kinds of behaviors. People say, what's with the bed? And you're like, it's not about the bed. It's not about the bed. It's about discipline. Mm. It's always a principle under the action. So how long did the Air Force last? Like what all in was your time? Where were you? What's it like to be in the Air Force and be going to school? Like how, how does that how does that chunk of Sky's timeline play out? Huh. Um, <clears throat> so going to school while in the military was extremely challenging. Mm. Because when I enrolled, <laughs> I enrolled, it was uh, enrolled. I've been hanging out with way too many life coaches. <laughs> when I enlisted um, in the military, it was peacetime. Everybody mm. was going into the military so they can get college paid for. And then that was 2000. 2001, it got real, mm. real quick. And I was like, um, excuse me, um, I wasn't really trying to like serve my country, like not like that. Can we talk? You're like, can I have a desk job can where I could help out? Can we talk, right? Because it's, it was moving really fast. Because mm. Bush was the president, and there was no social media. And uh, we all had, like, cell phones. They were nice and flippy and fun, but we weren't pulling up the news on our phone, you know? Mm. So I was, I mean, I don't share this with a lot of people, but... When I was in the military at the time, uh, when 9-11 happened, I was uh, in what was called motivational camp. And I was like, what is this? What is this? Hmm. And it was like doing boot camp all over again. Even having a canteen on my hip. Like, it was just like, what is this? And it was while I was in motivational camp that I was watching the television when 9-11 happened. And... That timing just was a little, that's always been a bit odd to me, whatever. But then we were all um, asked to come to the base and we were like restrained to the base. We had a what was called a commander's call where the commander of the base came and pretty much told us to just go to our dorms and just sit still, sit tight. And that's what we did. And we like didn't really have, we didn't have any resources to like pull information from anywhere. Mm. So we're just sitting here like, what's going to happen? Clearly we know the Army and Marines are heading first, right? So we're not stressed. We're Air Force. If they need us, pilots will go, and then the medics, and the PJ. You know, so I worked in the hospital. Um, I wasn't stressed at that time because I didn't have enough information, and we didn't get to see it. Like, mm. say, if, if that happened today, oh, my goodness, with the, a number of social media platforms available, the military would have been in shambles because people would have been sharing and posting uh, like the things that were being said and happening. I'm not even going to get into that. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Mm. But um, that's when it got real. That's when it got very real. And our base slowly started to become a, a bit chaotic because other military bases were undermanned because Marines and, and Army were being deployed constantly. Mm -hmm. And in order to maintain a base, you have to have people covering all of the positions at home, right? It's not just about let's send everybody overseas. So um, they pulled me out of the hospital and made me a cop. <laughs> yeah, so I was a military police officer. So I got out of the military, thank God. And um, to my surprise, I remember... I was like, I should do acting. And I thought that that was the most ridiculous idea of all time mm. and immediately went straight to college. Because I was like, I did not just go to the military to then go do a job that a high school dropout can do. I'm going to college. So I had that idea for about a week and then it was gone. And then I went to school and I went to college. I got my bachelor's degree in communication, minor in media, and uh, then I got my corporate job that I've always wanted and went to Manhattan because I wanted my Carrie Bradshaw Sex in the City life, and except I was going to be Miranda. And I wanted my corporate <laughs> job. And that was the plan. Two years in a corporate, I realized a cubicle was my idea of hell. Mm. But I had worked so hard for that cubicle. And what was the job? 
I worked at a pharmaceutical marketing firm called BGB New York, uh, which I had a good laugh because one of the drugs that I worked on that I had an account with, with uh, Bristol Myers Squibb in Santa Fe Aventis, was Plavix for peripheral arterial disease, PAD, which is in our upcoming script. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, I was there like, it is. Whoa, I know this one. So, um, so that's the 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 alignment of all these like life imitating art moments that I've been mm. having. It just constantly just affirms to me that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, and that even deciding to pursue acting at 28, 29, and knowing that I was the underdog, meaning I was about to be 30 with no experience, black, female, like it just, there were very limited opportunities as everyone told me. And uh, to now see how that life, that adult experience that I had from the military to corporate New York to growing up in Chicago, how I kid you not, I would say 80% of the roles that I have done in the industry have mirrored mirrored a lot of those experiences, even down to the tiniest detail like peripheral arterial disease. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those little things, it's weird when you realize there's something special going on. It is like, so weird like with our in show, the most delicious way. Isn't it? Like with our show premiering, people were asking me, you know, did you ever want to do anything other than acting? And I was like, you guys, I wanted to be a heart surgeon. Like, I'm I'm out promoting our show talking yeah. about Mr. Hallman, who was my ninth grade biology teacher, who used to stay through the end of class through lunch with me in the classroom mm. so I could do the next advanced level of the dissections we were doing. Because I was like, I really need to learn this. I'm going to be a surgeon. Mm. What? 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 <laughs> like, what is happening? And I don't know, it's just such, it's such a trip to me, all the little things. And and one of the things I want you to tell people about, because you're telling me the stories I don't know about the military, but oh, one of the stories I do know about the military is something the audience needs to know, because it's a synchronicity. Mm. Before we move on to like changing the career into acting, you working in the hospital. Right. In the military. Yeah. Like, you yeah. got to tell people about it because it's crazy that now you're on a hospital show. <laughs> no, I know. And, and, and my supervisor, um, Sergeant Jimenez, he messaged me. It was just like, are you kidding me? Like when the episode aired, so many people from the military like reached out. Ah, so like, it. yeah, no, that would. And I love that. I'm like sitting back, like waiting to see like, because, you know, we're all spread out all over the world. I don't know where they all are. Um, so to know that they can find me on social media after I pop up on their screen back in a hospital, it's, it's not, it's pretty wild, but yeah, I was all over that hospital. I started in medical records, which felt hazing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like starting in the mail room. Exactly. Like it was, it was terrible. Um, but again, it really definitely helped with just like crossing your I's and dotting your T's and like well, filing is just so like, oh my oh gosh. My anyway, God. it's, yeah, it's, it's intense. Anyway, um, until I had like friends of mine messaging me, like, so I'm, I started dating David. Can you open up his medical record just to make sure? And oh. I'm like, girl, no. Pippa is, is listening. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, but yeah, so I went to family practice and then I had a lieutenant who was running pediatrics who wanted me to come by pediatrics and I ran out of there immediately. And then I would volunteer mm. at the ER when they would need help. So I kind of bounced around there, went up to labor and delivery sometimes when I felt sad because that's where the babies were. Um, and then a lot of people don't know that like in the hospitals, at least in the Air Force, I can't speak for the other branches, but you have plastic surgeons there, obviously there for war wounds. Mm-hmm. But there were like dependents 
of of active members, like their wives or daughters or whatever, and active duty men and women that would go and get free plastic surgery while they're in the military. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty wild. Wait, so is that just like in downtime if the plastic surgeons Yeah, it's don't downtown. Have the plastic surgeons need work. They need yeah. so they, they need to get their train. hours. They, they gotta have get to their train. hours. Wow. They have to do that. So like they provided it for free. And and well, when I would mention I that to people, they wouldn't they wouldn't believe me, right? But then I'd see like one of my airmen friends walking by with a new set of breasts. And I'm like, cool, you did that. Now uh, let's hope we don't go to war, <laughs> right? Because all this is happening again my first year when it wow. was peacetime. That's um, incredible. Yeah. So working in the hospital in the military, it could be its own TV series. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of people don't know like what actually goes on inside of the hospitals on a military base, which is extremely it can be very dramatic and intense mm. from like the PTSD and the mental health ward, of course. But then it can also be absolutely hysterical <laughs> and like say plastics area or, um, you know, because when you get free health care, everyone shows up and it's a party. Wow. So it was fun for me to be able to experience that free healthcare, right? Like just anything, anything anybody felt. They just came in. Everybody unlimited. Come on in. Get your prescriptions. Get your, and I still get it today. And isn't that amazing that it keeps people healthy? Would you would who'd you look at that? Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? Huh. Huh. And if if we just had it for everybody, we would spend less annually as a nation on healthcare. You, wouldn't that be Woo, something? Wouldn't you know? that be something? But it's more important to go to space. So yeah. Um, Space hotels are space totally hotels more is definitely important than a priority. Healthcare. Yeah, no, you but know, I have been privileged to have free healthcare my incredible. entire adult life. That's incredible. Um, I definitely had to serve to earn, but I mm-hmm. got it, and um, I do wish that everyone got to have that experience for sure. Hell yeah! I just I love hearing about all the departments you worked in and all the surgeries you watched and assisted on, and every bit of that that prepped you for this show. And oh my god. I just want to see a scene where there's some incredible military plastic surgeon who can like put any part of a body back together. Who's like, nothing's happening. Can, will somebody just come in for a nose job? Anybody, just somebody. <laughs> come on. Like I got to get to 40 yeah, hours this I'm week. Come you. on. That's like, what it was. That is so yeah, they funny They were like liposuctioning all my friends. They're begging just They're for hours. They're begging for hours. Wow. And people are like, I mean- I could use a chin implant since I'm here. Like, oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, no. It was, and dental. Like, everybody was like racking up on all the free stuff. It was amazing. Wow. It was amazing. It was a blast. Oh, man. It is kind of crazy to be filming a show in Canada. Yeah. Cause, like, you know, we're not citizens here. Right. But I had to go to the doctor for my asthma in the fall. And I had to go to the pharmacy to yeah. get an inhaler. And my inhaler was $12. Oh, wow. As an uninsured person. And I was like, what? Wow. What? Well, this is special. Wow, yeah. Like, yeah. oh, you just, oh, you've yeah. regulated medicine to keep people safe here? Isn't that something? Wow, oh. this, is, this is cool. Who knew? Maybe we'll Who write knew? a story about it. Isn't it wild, too, you become an actor and you just, like, you see the good scene in every funny thing that happens around you? You're everywhere like, well, this is a great scene. Everywhere I go. Yeah. Everywhere. And not just a good scene, a frame. Like, yeah. I, I can see a frame that's like, oh, that would be beautiful to shoot something right here. Um, but yeah, I have so many ideas that people are like, you should start writing. And I try writing and I'm just, I'm, that's not my jam, but I do as an actor, I see scenes constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'll put on a scene myself. I'm very dramatic girl. If the right song comes on in the car. I'll do a whole music video in the car. <laughs> I'm like a caged animal in there. If titanium comes on. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, that, I think that was definitely the, uh, the first the first cue that I was meant to do to do this for a living because I've mm-hmm. always been quite animated. So how did the how did that sort of repeated hint that you were being sent turn into I'm going to quit my corporate job where I sell heart medicine another another nod. How how did you decide like I'm um, I'm going to go and pursue acting and then how do you start? So. Um, well, after the military, while I was going to college, I started working at a plastic surgery clinic 
in Chicago. So that was my part-time job mm. outside of the military because of my experience. It was like, okay, I'll go work at the surgery clinic. So I was working at a plastic surgery clinic, um, and there was a woman there who ran all of our consultations called Lillian Chumption. And Lillian Chumption said to me all the time, I don't know why you're going to college to go, like, work a real job. You are supposed to be an actor. Nobody else on the planet was saying this to me. Wow. And she was like a a fly in my ear buzzing all the time. And I'd be like, Lillian, go away. But I would make everybody laugh so much in the clinic that she would just stare at me and be like, I'm so confused. Like, why aren't you doing acting? And I'm like, it was just so random that she kept doing that. She watched the episode, by the way, and called me. Like, so she's still in my life today. And she calls oh. herself your first fan. So she was also like in my ear about it. And it had no effect on me at that time. I was like, whatever. I did the job until I finished college, graduated, got hired in New York, went to New York corporate, two years into corporate. Um, I, I spoke to my mom and I told my mom, I was like, mom, <clears throat> I am unhappy. Mm. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And here I am in my late 20s. I know what I'm not supposed to be doing. And that's this job. Because I'm eventually going to throw myself out the window or down the stairs. Um, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And she says to me, um, well, then that's what you need to ask God for. You need, I don't know why I made her a Southern Belle. Um, you need <laughs> to ask God for uh, guidance, for um, for a, a vision. And at that time, I did not have a relationship with God. I was a fan of his work, but we didn't talk. You feel me? So mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, I'll do that. So I went to bed and I did. I prayed every night. I did not, I, I, I did not even have a direct prayer as far as specificity. It was just, you know, whatever I'm supposed to be doing, just tell me, I'll do it. I won't judge it. I'll just, I'll just do it. Whatever it is, let, like, please. Like, and I had that kind of like, <laughs> a bit of aggression about it. Um, it wasn't like a subtle, like cute Bible prayer. And I did that. And two weeks later, I'm not, I'll never forget it ever in life. But two weeks later, I woke up before my alarm clock and it was as clear as day. I had this very vivid dream. Um, it was very much LA acting, all that. And, and I woke up and I immediately was like, no, <laughs> I judged it immediately. It's like, no, A, I hate LA. B, the same narrative that I held on to for 10, 12 years I'm not going to do a job that a high school dropout could do. I would say that to myself all the time, over and over and over. Mm -hmm. The longer you hold on to a narrative, it'll be real, right? It'll be true to you. So I held on to that. No, I did way too much work to go and do a job that anyone could do. And then that moment on, I left my apartment and it was everywhere. Buses would go by that says, visit California, subways of LA. Like people would... Friends were moving to LA. Friends were telling me like, oh my God, have you ever thought about doing acting? All of a sudden, everybody started saying it to me. It was everywhere. It was like the matrix. Like people started turning into that agent. Mm. And I was just like, okay. So after all of that, I convinced in a very funny way, my uh, boss at the pharmaceutical marketing firm to lay me off and not fire me because I wasn't going to quit. But if you lay me off, I can get unemployment. And if I, if I can get unemployment, that means that'll give me two years to, to give this a shot. And if it doesn't work out in two years, I'm going to come back. Wow. So I convinced him to do that. And he did. And uh, yeah, got in my car, drove to LA. And I had two years of unemployment. And I, I worked as an extra on CSI New York for a full season of 21 episodes. And on that show was an actor by the name of Hill Harper. Hmm. And Hill Harper, uh, without me asking for permission, became my mentor. And I would come to him with questions. He would come to me with answers. And he was very, very professional and just stern with it, like, like, a, like a military way. And I, I text Hill just the other day. And I said to him, I said, whether you know this or not, you were my first in-person professional actor mentor mm. when I was an extra on the show. And I, isn't it wild that 
Here we both are on network TV medical dramas with the word good in the title. And that's what he would always say to me. He'd be like, did you do, 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 do? Did you get this? Did you do that? I'd be like, yeah. He'd be like, good. And he would just always say like, it was never great or like nothing yeah. big. Good. And and he replied back and he was just like, I saw you pop up on my TV and I, my smile was just so big and I'm so proud of you. And I'm so, like, he just gave me all the all the flowers but that's where it started. Hill Hill Harper kind of taught me how to build my foundation. And, and then I learned from being an extra on the set of CSI New York. And from there on, that's a, a whole other conversation as well. Um, I feel like you and I can have multiple, multiple conversations. <laughs> I know. Like the, the, the process that I've been able to experience, while brutal, mm levitating. Mm. I think that's so important though, because so many people just think some people get like the Midas touch and they're a success overnight. Oh yeah. And it's oh, just yeah. not real. It's I always not. tell, I always tell people it takes 10 years to become an overnight. Absolutely. Success. Like, Ab- And it was 10 years on. until I booked this job from you when know? I started. Yeah. It's hard. It's thousands and thousands of no's it's like, how am I going to make rent this month? Yeah. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think there's always something to it. And by the way, even the way that the arts are judged, even the way that you learned, picked up, or, or furthered a narrative, like, oh, high school dropouts do that job. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I'll never forget turning around years ago and meeting Mira Sorvino and being like, oh, this like Academy Award nominated, like incredible artist, you know, and then I find out that she graduated magna cum laude from Harvard University and, you know, like speaks Chinese and like, and I just was like, cool. Yep. I don't know why I judge my profession so hard, but maybe I should stop. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. Here here I was in front of Hill Harper, who has a Harvard law degree Uh and was roommates with Obama for a semester. Like, (laughs) so like, the universe could not have aligned me with anybody else yeah. to tell me, like, to help you undo. kill that narrative. Yes. Because this man went from having a Harvard law degree to waiting tables. Yeah. Kill it. We're done kill here. It. And, it, and it wasn't so much that, like, that's a job that a high school dropout does. It was anyone could, could go and become an actor. Mm-hmm. Like, a high school dropout could do it. Like, it could, anyone can go do it. Like, it's not – no, there's no prerequisites. Yeah. Right? But then you realize – Anyone can't. Anyone do it. absolutely cannot. No, ma'am. Now, is there the magic wand effect that happens out there? Yeah, sure, that happens, yeah. and that's that person's journey. Mm-hmm. I was thrilled for Lupita when she came out of high school and went mm. straight to the Oscars. I mean, yes. when I came out of Yale and went straight, straight to, the, to Oscars. the Oscars. Yep. Go, girl. Mm-hmm. Get to work. You have work to do. Mm-hmm. You know, not everyone's journey is the same. Of course. But whether you get tapped with that magic wand or not, it is not easy. Mm-mm. Is it worth it? <laughs> when it's what you love. When it's when you when love it. When it's what it. you're meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. you know, I think about it in any industry. We need a Lupita story. Yeah. We need the guys who created Warby Parker. We need like we need people who do it and soar fast because they inspire the rest of us to keep going when it's slow. Absolutely. You need examples of magic to do your wizarding work. I like that. (laughs) You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, who's going to go to Hogwarts if you don't know there's ever a musician? (laughs) I'm leaning into a Jason metaphor now. But yeah, I I just, I don't know. I love it. And, And I'm curious, when you talk about the journey, you know, learning as an extra. Oh, and I love that too. My dad always used to say to me, you know, when my before he retired, my dad was a photographer for a long time. And he, he always said, like, we need to have to hire a photo assistant for the studio. He was like, I never hire the person who's the most impressive. I always hire the person who says, I will do anything to work here. Mm. I will stay late and repaint the studio floor every night. I will do runs to the film place. I will pick up lunch. I'll make coffee, whatever. I want to learn. Yeah. He was like, that's always the person I hire. Yeah. And when you want to learn and you're willing to do the work, 
oh, it's just they're my favorite kind of people. Absolutely. This is why we're here together. Absolutely. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's not about what you're doing. It's about who you're being while you're doing it. Mm. Always. Mm. So I saw that the extras there were just like, I'm just walking like zombies. Like I'm just an extra. I'm just a background actor. And then whenever they say cut, they just go back to holding and stare in their phones or stare in their laptop. That's what you're, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. And that's who you're being. That's great. That's 12, 14 hours of your day, Monday to Friday. That's not who I'm going to be. So instead, I would wake up every day, and who I was being was a paid intern. This is a paid internship. All I knew was some theater that I tried out in in classes, but I didn't know what banana around the camera and martini shot meant. Mm. I didn't know any of that kind of stuff, like, or the difference between the framing, and I I knew nothing. So I would sit and stay on set while they would go off to holding. Because in order to be a paid intern, I had to be an intern first, right? Mm-hmm. So I would take notes. I would, I would, I would take the call sheet at the end of the day for next day's, you know, uh, shoot schedule. I would research the people coming in. Every new director I knew about, I knew the history. I knew where they were from. Um, I was able to have a conversation if that moment ever happened with the writers as well. Like I was always a couple steps away from Video Village. Like it was very strategic. Mm. Um, and, and that's what made it a part of the process for me. It wasn't a side job. It was the job. That was my mail room. Mm. That was my medical records room. <laughs> you know, like it was there for me to learn the foundation and to build some principles around the industry. And that's what that did for me. And again, without him knowing, Hill became like a bit of my supervisor. Mm. And from there, I went on to doing those one-liners and then the, a few more lines and then a guest star and then a top of show guest star and then recurring. And now here I am in my first series regular. Mm. But it's definitely just been me graduating. Every, every year, it just has felt like a, a, a shedding of a skin and just consistently graduating. And I do not compare myself to anyone else. I genuinely do not. I believe that I am unique in my own way. Mm. And I... And to honor how interesting and, and, and crazy and just incredible my parents are, and to honor them, I can't compare myself to anyone else because they are both very dynamic people in their own way. Mm-hmm. So in order for me to, to feel good about the process with all the no's, as you say, mm-hmm. is I'd ha- my only comparison is, was to just like, okay, what did I do last year? Is this year looking better? Mm. It is? Great. Keep going. Like, that was enough for me of just, like, comparing my my year to last year's. Like, did I even make $20 more than last year? <laughs> Great. Did I make one new friend? Awesome. Did I, you know, like, it was just just kind of, and, and that has just allowed me to watch the growth just, you know, kind of consistently take place where I don't stop and quit or see it as rejection, you know, you either, you either win or you learn. Mm. And if you win or you learn, you're kind of always winning. That part, that part. But, you know, a lot of times people will romanticize about the goal, but dread the execution. And, and we, we have to just remember that with that goal, having me having this, this is the goal. This mm. was this was the wedding. This was the first child. This was like something I have been planning for for 12 years, right? Is this moment that I'm having right now. Mm-hmm. The goal was the thought. The execution was the work. And that is the part that is. It mm. is. That's the part that many people dread. Well, and the irony is when you meet your goal... You only meet it for a moment and then you have to execute on it. Everything is actually in the execution. And if we only celebrate when we achieve our goal, we Mm -hmm. celebrate for so few moments in life. Mm -hmm. Even if the goals are big, it's like, all right, well, we got this big show and now we have to make it. So we better love making things. Absolutely. We better love creating things, whether they get made or not, because then when it does get made... Then you get to create it every day. Yeah. Like, and that that's a practice that takes work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Being present takes work sometimes. Sometimes I have to tell myself, stop it. Just totally right now. Right now, look around. Look around, look around at how lucky (laughs) we are to be alive. I'm not a singer, sorry. Um, But like, it's just that I have to do that so, so often. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw this um, video of Tom Hanks from a round table with the Hollywood reporter and he said, I guess they were asking him, because it was cut, but it, I, I think they asked him, you know, like like dropping a gym. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, this too shall pass. Like he wished that he really understood that. Like yeah. this too shall pass. When you're feeling low, when you're feeling sad, <laughs> when you're feeling unsuccessful or or undesired or this too shall pass. But also when you're feeling high and like you're on top of life and everything is working out in your favor, this too shall pass. Yeah. You know, and just knowing that time is inevitable, but time is always there to bring you through, bring you, just just give it time. Just give everything time, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what being in this, it's like uh, this experience with you all on this show, I just constantly want to just... Stop time and just sit in it. (laughs) I know. It's so funny. I mean, and I know I said this to you last night, but like I had such a hard time over the holiday break. Same. Like I was so happy. And, you know, we were home. We hosted our family. It was great. But to be present at home meant that I didn't get to see you for weeks. Right. Yeah. And like... I tried to be really conscious when I was home of being off my phone. Right. Like just putting my phone away. Like I'd leave it in the bedroom. I'd leave it in the bathroom. Mm. But like, that's why I would just, after like eight days, I'd start sending you texts in all caps. Like, oh my God, I miss you. (laughs) What are you doing? Send me everything. Tell me everything. Yeah. And then I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I just (laughs) miss you. And it's like, and, and it's crazy because then I have that. There are some days when I'm here and I'll realize I haven't talked to my best friend back home in like yeah. three weeks. And I'm like, there is just not enough time yeah. if we just had a little more time. But but then what I think is, how lucky am I that there are people in my life who if I don't see them for a few days, I ache for their mm. smile. Like I just, I like ache to know what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's the long game, too. Yeah. You know, like that's that's being in it and and finding your people and leaning on your people and and creating a world around you that you want to be in. And like we got to create this. We sure did. We really did. Do you want to tell people how it started? I absolutely do. They're going to love it. Well, this was a lot of fun. Do not forget that this is just part one. I'm so glad we did this today. Yeah, let's keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs>